Welcome to Dev Jams. This is where we talk about exciting, interesting, innovative development projects done by members of our Cloudinary community that use Cloudinary in those ways. My name is Sam Brace, and I am the director of customer education here at Cloudinary. And joining me for every episode is Becky Peltz, who is our curriculum program manager here at Cloudinary for our developer products. Becky, always good to have you here. Oh, it's exciting to be here. This is one of my favorite uh, topics here is working on portfolios. I agree. And I mean, obviously, of course, having a good portfolio is a huge reason why people get hired for freelance work or contract work or to be able to get hired as part of a full-time piece of work. But what's exciting about what Sean's done here, our subject for this program, is that he's developed a portfolio to show off his work as an illustrator, as an artist. But he was able to do this with a lot of development tools that he learned about by going to a coding boot camp. And you might be saying to yourself, Sam, Becky, enough of the coding boot camps, but gosh, they're fantastic because we are just finding some of the best up and coming talents in this area between episodes we've done with Hannah, who now works at Datadog, and Jen, who now works at Cloudinary, and now, of course, Sean, who I think he actually is still looking for his next spot to land. But it's where he's putting himself out there as an amazing artist, someone that can draw beautiful artwork for professional purposes. And he wants to showcase that to the world. And he was able to do that through lots of various technologies he's learned about. Yeah, and it's exciting to see artists making the transition from art, what we know as illustration, or when we talked with Jen, acting and, and voice, into development. And it enriches actually both fields. Absolutely. So let's get into this. Let's show exactly how a good work portfolio is developed and how you can do it using some of the tools that are going to be showcased in this, all the way from just building things with Node and using Express and how to use Cloudinary Specs technology and how to deploy with Heroku. There's a lot of really cool insights that happen to be there. I'm actually particularly excited to see what you guys think about the way that he was able to show how to get alt text from some of the things that he has uploaded and managed in his Cloudinary account for contextual metadata. Pretty slick how he pulled it off. And I keep an eye out for how he gets data out of Cloudinary because he does it using a technique known as fetch delivery, which is great for front-end programmers. If you just tag your assets, you can pull them through this fetch system. It's pretty slick. I agree. I definitely agree. So let's get into it. Let's watch the episode. And once we get back, me and Becky have a few takeaways for you. So stay tuned. Sean, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So Sean, I'm really excited to talk to you because there's a lot of things that I think we're going to dive into, into this conversation, all the way from your experience as a developer. We're also going to be talking a lot about your specific portfolio, but I think we're also going to have a lot of things that I think developers will be able to extract from this about why they probably should have their own portfolio as well. So I think there's a lot here that we're going to talk about. I'm excited for it. Hopefully you're excited for it too. There. <laughs> and I want to point out too, that Sean, you're our first illustrator that, um, illustrator turned software engineer that we've had on this program. That's that's a good point, yeah. So it is a case where one thing that we have seen in working with many types of developers, talking to them about their projects in this podcast, we have seen a lot of them where they have started their career in one space and then moved to a different space, which is now being a developer in some way. 
So you started off and you actually are still doing work in this area, but you are a designer. You, as Becky just said, you're an illustrator. You're someone that creates art. And then you've progressed and started to bring on more code related aspects, more automation, more things that are involving APIs. Why is that? I find for me, the connection is pretty close. I see them as very side by side analogous. I, uh, in college, I had to take a portfolio class to uh, graduate, um, for illustration. We all had to make our own HTML, CSS portfolios from scratch, which is where I first learned anything about coding. Um, but the core of illustration and development, I feel for me is solving a problem, taking a big complicated idea, um, in illustration that could be distilling a book to a cover or a big national chicken campaign into a billboard, um, <laughs> uh, where with code it's, I want to make an app that does this very specific thing. In this case, uh, dynamically rendering portfolio. Um, and there's the big idea. Now I get to do all the fun little noodly, uh, work, uh, that builds up to that. So like. And honestly, it's pretty forward thinking that your school even decided to do that in terms of the curriculum, in my opinion, because I, I have seen it where people that I know that are graphic designers, illustrators, where when they're asked to do a portfolio or talking about like a hardbound book or something where we're trying to show like the textures of the paper and all of these things where being able to say like, hey, the web is where people are going to be learning about you. Likely, let's focus on a digital portfolio. I think that's pretty smart. And as you said, that was your first time touching HTML, touching CSS. What excited you about HTML, CSS, maybe JavaScript? I'm not entirely sure, but what, what got excited for you about that front end code working on the, that portfolio project? I was terrified because I never coded anything before. And I was always, a, I always assumed there'd be more math and I was not a math kid. Um, Case in point, I went to art school uh, to avoid math. I, <laughs> we wound, we we painted hot, uh, pine cones uh, for my college math class. Um, so I was terrified at the idea of having to code something because I didn't know what that entailed. And uh, I th and it being a coding for a design for illustration, it was so visual centric that I could see the puzzle pieces um, as my instructor in, uh, explained it and I wound up just taking to it, uh, like a duck, like water, duck to water. That's the phrase, yeah, um, you're right. where <laughs> I was like, I, it just made sense in a weird way. Just, it tickled my brain just the right way to click and, uh, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. I love it. And it, of course you would have never known that unless you had gotten exposure to it. So once again, it kind of shows that if you just give people a taste of something, sometimes they might actually like it, right? So I, I'm, I'm glad that someone gave you a taste of code and now we're getting to this point where you're getting to talk to us about all the things that you're working on right now. And of course, in this work, uh, webcast here, we're, we're going to see that you've gone way beyond the basic HTML, CSS, and you're coding in React now. So that's quite a big leap. That's a fairly new development, but yeah. 
But you did that by going to a boot camp. So how did yep. that come about? Um, I had been thinking about wanting to do more with web design and development uh, for a few years now. Um, I met some friends who were doing it professionally, and I just found I had a lot of questions. Like, what did that job entail? What did that career look like? And the more I talked to them, the more interesting it sounded. Uh, so I asked a friend of mine, Brett, about how he got his start. Um, and he told me about uh, the Trilogy Boot Camp, uh, which this over the summer, uh, as most of us were, I spent pretty much all my time in, uh, in this room. And I'm like, I could, I could learn something while I'm here. <laughs> so I called up my local university and uh, asked about a boot camp and decided to do it one day and jumped right in. And so the portfolio that we're going to be diving more into, into this episode, was that something that you developed inside of the boot camp, or what was there certain fundamentals that you were able to take from the boot camp and apply to this portfolio project? Yeah, uh, the boot camp was my first real taste of JavaScript or kind of dynamic web development where I could change things, where not everything had to be hard coded in. So I, uh, one of the last things we learned was React, which I used to build this. And I, I really liked the component-based um, part of it where I can build out little things and change them and tweak them and move stuff around easily without having to cut whole swaths of code or test 600 lines of code just to see if one thing was working in it. Um, I feel like that's the reason why a lot of people like React. So yeah, you're echoing a very clear sentiment there. Am I right about that, Becky? Definitely. Um, you know, the HTML is essentially a bunch of components. You know, you, your image yeah. tag is a component, your div tag. And with React or any of the frameworks, really, but React is most popular, you are building set tags, you know, your own tag. You have your own image tag. You have your yeah. own, you know, so that it gives you a lot of power, but it keeps you working within the, the framework of HTML and, and, and all of the, you know, specifications laid down for years about serving it. So yeah, it's a, it's a great way to go. And like you said, being able to focus on a very small amount of code is way better than yeah. dealing with monster code. Yeah. So good education. If, if you're at the point where you realize that, you know, very good. So then you, you're working on this project, you're work, well, you're, you're learning React as part of the bootcamp in this case. So then what brings you to say the portfolio, the way that I represent Sean Morgan is going to be with React. What brought you to that? I, uh, uh, I try and build a new portfolio every year just to keep it as fresh as possible and if I have a good year of illustration, I have a bunch of new stuff, great. If I don't, just throw a fresh coat of paint on it for where I sent it to uh, art directors that year. Um, but I had so many more tools this time. I got to really sit down with a pad of paper and make a note of what, what do I want out of a portfolio site that I haven't been able to make myself or haven't found... Um, an alternative to, uh, like every year I iterate on it. Last year I did, uh, 
I wanted it to scale better uh, where the images would wrap um, in a more dynamic way. Uh, so I made individual columns that just went one uh, after the other uh, as the screen shrank, but that means it was just columns going down. So all my art side to side was hard to place. So I wanted something much more dynamic and I found React and uh, CSS. Oh, uh, Flexbox was the best solution. Sorry, I'm being distracted. <laughs> so we get attention. Yeah, you know, um, I know I noticed in your code and we'll look at it that you do have a lot of CSS and, you know, a lot of people that go into bootcamp are happy to learn about JavaScript and HTML, but CSS is kind of like, really, you know, do we really have to go down that path? But how did you, how do you feel about CSS? What's your... I love it. <laughs> I like, I think it's just the designer in me. I like, like, I want to get very noodly with uh, how things look, specific colors, fonts, just every little thing I can tweak, I want to tweak. So I, yeah. I love playing around with it. It is really fun. Um, I, I know I will go out to like code pen and just look at people's projects because they do amazing things out there with CSS. And uh, this is a lot of fun. So talk to me more about Flexbox, because maybe this is the first time that some of the people that are watching this program are familiar with it. What exactly is it and why did it help when you're trying to display many different types of art? Because, of course, you're not developing all of your paintings, all of your illustrations in the exact same way. They're not all landscape. They're not all portrait. Yeah. Sometimes they're going to be of different sizes. Why did that help with that portfolio project? So uh, back back in the before times, uh, the solution would be to use floats, which uh, never work the way you think they're supposed to. Suddenly something will be behind something or everything will just stack on top of each other and they never work. And then it's a lot of trial and error. So Flexbox, I can set everything to just start floating or start um, flowing from left to right. And it will break onto a new line. Every time it's hit the width, it scales um, with the window size. Um, and I can also affect how I want things to be spread apart. Do I want everything to be uh, justified. So everything will just go edge to edge and it'll vary the space in between. I can have just space on the end. Um, I can get really specific with what, how I want things to look and how I want things to be uh, spaced out and played with, um, which is just so, so much fun and so, so much uh, easier uh, than it used to be. Well, it seems like also it's a pretty naturally helpful tool because now, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we work for Cloudinary, me and Becky, so we're going to be talking about Cloudinary just a little bit here. But it seems like a natural tie to say, like, if I want these images to all display the right way, if I'm handling it easily through deployment delivery with Cloudinary, this, you still have to worry about, okay, how do they all arrange themselves nicely on the page? And so it's kind of like these are playing nicely together. You handled the image yeah. delivery aspect, so now Flexbox takes care of how everything's spaced and set up. And I also don't have to worry about, yeah, the, the sizing, um, everything will thumbnail down to a specific height, um, when it full screen. So no longer am I cropping images and essentially creating, you know, new, new 
littler images of part of a piece of art, um, I can just have like a full landscape next to a portrait and they'll both just have the same height and the width can be whatever it needs to be. And I, it, it, what you have here, of course, because you're an artist that has a portfolio. So the way that I look at this is that you, of course, want to be able to show your full width, full height piece of art because you want people to see the intricate detail of what you've gone and drawn or what you've designed. So it's not like you can just go in and say, hey, like, hey, here's some thumbnails like you might be able yeah. to do if like you're doing something for e-commerce or if you were, I mean, even just a developer doing a portfolio, you want them to get into the artistic detail that is there. So it makes a lot of sense that you need to be able to dive into full size and doing that with Flexbox, with Cloudinary seemed like it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm really glad that you did it the way that you did it. Yeah, and, and then you've also used Lightbox, so you're able to give us a, a nice big picture just with a click. And I don't know, do you want to bring up the the portfolio and, and have a look? Sure. Do you want to share your we can do that. We can see what we're going to be talking about. All right, so here we are. Uh, if I scroll down, we can see, yeah, so it's all uh, done with... Uh, Flexbox, so I just have everything justified to the left side and uh, equally spread apart. Um, and if I let's do some inspect, and we start to already, you can see once it shrinks down a bit, uh, it automatically just everything just you know breaks as it needs to to fit. And at a certain point, it hit. We'll get to a break point where it'll. Uh, I'll say that you're ready. Scale by. Small right. or with, yeah, yeah, that looks great, and and you're able to keep the aspect ratios that you that you created. You're not having to like turn everything into a you know templated sort of pictured. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and then you can carousel through it with the light box. So that looks really good. Um, and then you, this is all done. This, so, so I guess if we wanted to start talking about your full stack, what you used, um, so starting on the server side, uh, what did, what did you, you want to share? Sure. So, um, for this, I made everything in, uh, react JS, uh, really nice, uh, JavaScript framework, um, use the create a uh, react app uh, tool in my console pretty much uh, builds out everything I need to start off with um, including here on the server side setting uh, the port it's going to run on when I'm uh, testing it locally um, using Express to do all my routing so uh, reacts it so you chose page you have, to, yeah you have a node Express app and um, and then um, this actually you deployed on Heroku. Do you want to talk a little about that using Node Express on Heroku? Yeah, I just I uh, it's how we uh, deployed full stack applications in uh, the boot camp. But I just it's they work so well together. And it's just so easy to uh, create Heroku app, push Heroku main. Uh, just integration is. Uh, Super, the CLI is really nice, isn't it? The, yeah. the Heroku CLI, you 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 can have a really clear 
understanding of the model, how, you know, you've got GitHub that you're pushing to, and then you've got Heroku that you're pushing to. And, and you can link the two together, which for this one I did. Uh, so okay. whenever my GitHub is updated, um, Heroku will automatically rebuild my uh, app on the Heroku side. Okay, great. So, so, so here at the very back end, you've got the node expressed and then you're, you're basically just going to pull, you have a, a public path pulling index HTML. Now yeah. I take a look at that. This Perfect. is where you're going to start moving into your front end. Yeah. So, uh, again, this is largely just the react boilerplate. Uh, it doesn't really start getting fun until we get into, uh, app JS, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, but like, you know, uh, my title, my header, all that stuff is here. And then the body, uh, goes in yeah. through the roof. For anybody that didn't know, the React is going to just take everything you put and apply it to that root ID. So that's basically yeah. all your, your rendering there. So yeah, let's go to, let's go into app.js. <laughs> uh, so, uh, here's. Pretty much uh, everything, uh, more or less. Um, like we were talking about, everything's really clean. Like I have my, you know, uh, the return is all that's rendered. So my header, my light box, all that, uh, different components uh, that have the different code. Um, but just starting from the top, uh, I'm importing all those different components uh, from within my code. I use the Axios package to make my call to Cloudinary. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I I see like uh, there are twelve. And you're using a React hook to yep. with to make your your fetch call, and you're using Axios to. How did you choose Axios? I mean, because like there's a, a lot of alternatives there for Ajax. Uh, yeah. Um, it's just the one I was, I become most familiar with. Uh, I've done much, and more robust full stack applications have done much longer uh and more complicated uh pull yeah. push requests but uh as this is right now all i need is to um pull all the data from cloudinary so just a simple uh async await with axios uh, allows me to do that yeah and that's uh, an interesting call you make there uh, in in cloudinary that's our We've got, you've got, if you could see that list in there, that's our list delivery type. So instead of delivering a, an image or a video, you're going to deliver a list. Do you want to, yeah, do you want to talk about, about how that works? Like how, sure. how that, like that name illustration, JSON, where does that illustration come in? So the illustration.json uh, list is, um, uh, the illustration is, uh, the tag for my uh, Cloudinary database. So anything yeah. that I tag with that is being what's uh, pulled out here and uh, being added to my image state. So on load, uh, the page will ping Cloudinary, pull everything from that list back to the front end, uh, which will then be mapped over and rendered to the page. Yes. Yeah. So, so essentially, um, how did you get your images up into Cloudinary? I can show you that right now. Um, so I, uh, 
just created my list. So we can go in here. Um, I'm just doing a simple drag and drop. Add a new image. Manage, is that what I want? Yes. Add my illustration tag. Okay, yeah. So that's, so by adding that tag, you're automatically gonna pull it with your, with your Axios call to the list, AP, list delivery. Yep. I can add a title and a description. And now all of this data will be uh, available uh, in, should have done it right kept it safe nope still there okay and all that data will be available in the light box uh, as an alt tag so it's very dynamic then you just do your upload you tag it and there it is now it's gonna pull it nice yeah yeah and if you, if you wanted to leave it out you could just remove your tag and then it wouldn't it wouldn't come forward exactly I like the way that you're using tags here because in a lot of cases, when we talk to other people that use Cloudinary, they always think of tags almost as internal, not necessarily external. So thinking about it to say like, oh, if I need to find all of my illustrations within it, like almost like as a digital asset management system, or just as a way for you to find things for your own list purposes. But the fact that you're taking those tags and using those for external display so that way it dynamically updates as long as you apply the tag. Um, I think it's a really good use case to think about for developers because now it ensures that when you have new content, as long as your tagging system has been set up the right way, your website can continually be updated with the freshest, newest stuff. So yeah, very good work, Sean. Yeah, I, I think that is, that is really cool. And then um, let's maybe take a look at your index.g so so your app.js is set up to do the the fetching and and lay out your components what's going so um again this is mostly uh hi rosie um uh react uh boilerplate um the app uh here is the app.js we just looked at that's what's being rendered uh the one thing i added here is the simple lightbox package I downloaded and uh, added it around my app. So all images that are rendered within my app can be affected by uh, my lightbox. That's really neat. I mean, that's one really great thing about working in React, isn't it? Is there's so many people developing in it. You can find these libraries and, and yeah. get that functionality. That's really nice. Now, um, what about line 17? We've talked about that a little. You get that with your Create, Rack, Create React app, you're going to get the uh, Core Web Vitals uh, computing kind of built in. Yeah. So what's going on there, though? We're making a call to, to a function, and that function, you're importing it. So, and again, I think if we looked at, if we opened up that port, yeah, this is just boilerplate from, from React, right? You don't yeah. have to write any code for this. And you can see it's doing the get CLS, get FID. These are all of the new Google 
web core vitals, you know, to help them figure out whether you're a good UX designer <laughs> and whether they want to like recommend your page, therefore getting your, your, your stuff ranked higher for SEO. So, so, so what happens? What, what can we see? I mean, we talked a little about trying to conquer sure. like that. Which, yeah. We, uh, where was it? So yeah, threw in a console log there. So if we refresh this just in case, sometimes the console likes to the bottom. Yeah. I see that. There spot there. Yeah. Yep. So if you look at those, we can get the numbers and then, um, of course, like some of these I'd notice will show up right away. And so later they're basically like. It's like firing an event for Google. They they kind of get that report when yeah. it's available. But those numbers you can now like it makes it really easy as a developer to immediately look at those numbers and then you can kind of go check on the what what Google's looking for to see if you're staying in bounds. So that's kind of a neat a neat thing about that create Re React app. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh... Thank you for showing me that. <laughs> now, now I know where to find this. I saw your code. I, I didn't realize that React was doing that. So that it's kind of a two-way learning there. I'd love to dive a little bit more into the images that you are showing here. So I know one of the things that people do commonly look at when they're deploying any type of project, especially a site mm -hmm. like this, is you want it to load as quickly as possible. What are you doing to make sure those images are loading quickly, or optimized for the um, the overall user's browser, the device, anything like that? So, um, yeah, this has always been a problem for me because, you know, my art's precious and I don't want to make it too small. So, uh, thankfully, Cloudinaria is able to help with this. Uh, is it in Lightbox? No, it is. You're, yeah, you're okay, actually JS, I think. I think I, yep, there we are. So uh, here's where uh, we're actually rendering a picture uh, and we have the Cloudinary call uh, and we're using uh, Cloudinary's uh, F-Auto and Q-Auto to uh, adjust uh, to uh, my website accordingly and make it look uh, as good as possible without me having to worry too much about it. Yeah, I mean, so with the Q-Auto, you get some compression, um, but but with Cloudinary kind of checking to make sure your image will still look good. Yeah. And then F auto, you are going to get whatever that, whatever the browser likes best, you know, if it's web, that, yeah. web P. Yeah. So cool. You know, and what's neat about what I think you're showing here, Sean, is that this is automatically appending that list because you know, everything you're going to be using mm -hmm. are going to be images. You know that you're going to be uploading it. And you know that you want to make sure that you're adding those two transformations on it. So then when you're doing either a programmatic upload or like when you showed doing an upload into the media library, it automatically appends F auto Q auto thanks to what you're doing here with MHJS, because then it just grabs whatever the public ID is, adds the alt based on what you were able to bring through for the metadata and through the tags. So once again, this was smart. So very good job because now regardless of how you decide to upload, you're ensuring that certain parameters and certain checks are being done along the way. So I think this is also something that hopefully more people that are working with Cloudinary um, are looking at and saying, oh, I, I can get something from this. So <laughs> good job, Sean. Yeah. No, thank, thank you. you. 
the alt tag is really important. And, and a lot of times it's something that people just leave out because, hey, you know, they don't, it's not a priority. But I notice when you do your upload, you go immediately in and enter your, your information for alt and, and. And I'm, I'm, the fact that Cloudinary has, gives me the option to do that. And I can, uh, when I call my state, which is returning just a bunch of data, I can, uh, you know, I can drill down into it to get, uh, like the public ID is, uh, what I'm calling when I render the image, but I can also go and get my custom alt tag. So that renders each time as well. Hey, you know, we can actually look at that data if you want. Um, if we go back to where you make the Axios call. App. Yeah, if you grab that string and just prepend it with HTTPS colon in your browser, we should be able to actually see the data that you're... So if we just go to a browser... Entering. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so here's what, yeah, so here's what the data that your Axios is returning and it's showing that you're picking up not just public ID, but a lot of information about the image and then the alt and the caption. Yeah. So this is like really a nice compact set of data that anybody would need, you know, if they're going to show an image. So nice. I like now, one thing that I was also inspired by, Sean, with your project, but also kind of on your outlook on life, was that this is somewhat tied to a project that I know that you're working on called 100 Days of Code. And of course, that's not your project. It's a kind of an overall thing that's happening where we're asking people to code for at least one hour a day to make sure that they're improving, making sure that they're getting used to new technologies, maybe trying new things. Um, it almost feels like <laughs> I know, like the NFL has their get, play outside for 60 minutes thing. In some ways, that's the coding equivalent of it, right? Um, yeah. But why did you subscribe to that? And also, why did you decide to be so transparent with the work that you're doing with 100 Days of Code with the portfolio, but also sharing all that through Markdown files on your GitHub? Uh, peer pressure. Peer <laughs> <laughs> pressure works, right? <laughs> we, uh, I, we had just finished uh, the boot camp, and some of us were looking for ways to uh, encourage each other. Um, especially now that we're all on the job hunt, it's uh, sometimes can be easy. Uh, it's easy to be demoralized. So having a way to check in with each other and create new projects and have friends to bounce ideas off of and kind of keep our class community together was a large part of it. Thinking back to it, because now we're we're getting close to, you know, you've gone through many days of this project. Is there any like specific learnings? You're like, oh, because of this happening on this day, I was able to apply this for my portfolio. Like any things that you've had from learnings, experiences, going through that type of a practice? Relying on my community and friends a lot more. Um, I think the thing I've learned, uh, I've learned the most. Uh, which is, uh, I'm sometimes I'm not smarter than my code. Like, I think I know what it's supposed to be doing and it won't do it. And, uh, I'll bang my head against the keyboard to try and figure that out. Cause I made it clearly. I can, I know what's wrong. And sometimes I just need to like reinstall my packages. Cause 
something wasn't working. I think on this app, on this app specifically, I spent three days trying to debug something and ultimately it just came down to remove my node modules, NPM install, and then it just worked. <laughs> Java's so not to, challenging too, because it, yeah. if you, you know, if you make a typo, it, it can still sort of work, but you know, something major is missing. I noticed when I was reading your 100 days of code that what I saw was you were sort of doing the rubber ducky thing, you know, where you, mm -hmm. the more, if, if I describe my problem, even if it's just to myself, it's yeah. somehow helps to put it in context and get a solution. If I can, if I can put something into words, then it's not as big and amorphous and scary as just a big idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, you know, that kind of blogging or logging your, your issues is really good, but sometimes like, I'll just talk to somebody, even who's not even technical about a problem I'm having that's technical. And of course they're just staring at me blankly, but just my ability to just put into words what I'm dealing with. I end up solving it. So anyway, good practice. Now, if I do a control F on your hundred days of code, GitHub markdown file that you've shared wonderfully with the world, if, and I do a search for Heroku, I get six details about that. So Heroku has been part of your life for the past hundred or so days. <laughs> yes. Talk about working with Heroku. Talk about that. And of course. What does that mean when you're telling this to other developers? Like you, your experience is working with that type of a service, especially knowing that it's going to be a React-based project that you've done. It's involving Cloudinary. It's involving, you know, Express for middleware purposes. How does Heroku play into all of that? Sorry. Uh, largely, it's just, it's so damn convenient. Um... <laughs> okay, Rosa, you really need to stop. I know. Um... I mean, that's largely why I continue to use it. And it's a great way to get something, just get something out there quick. Um, with, since React, you know, runs off a local host, I can tweak it and play with it all I want. And I'll know what it's going to look like when it's deployed. And I know how it's going to interact. Um, but I can only do so much with that on my side and uh i know for another app i've been working on i've been playing with things and if things aren't working necessarily correct and i want some help if i have it deployed it's easier for people to go in and play with it um especially when i have like sensitive data or a env that i don't want to share if it's deployed that stuff's still working in the background and people can go and you know help me with it uh easier instead of me having to send a big file dump to them. That's a, that's a really good reason for it. I, it because I, I mean, I've personally done that as well, where it's like, I, I wish I just had an easy way to show you this. And then, yep, you deploy it through something that's like, you know, lightweight, flexible, like Heroku, then it makes it now, you know, you, you have a URL attached to it. So at least then yeah. it allows for people to get their hands on it. And yeah, it may not be something more than just showing proof of concept or testing, but that's the wonder of Heroku, right? Yeah. Now, okay. Becky, we've had actually a lot of different types of developers on this program. So like with Sean showing us that he was doing all this with, with Heroku, I know we've also had projects we've shown where they're doing deployment and hosting with Netlify. 
Is there any, like based on your experience, is there any situations where you should use one versus the other? Well, yeah, I think, well, Heroku has been around a lot longer. Like um, I've taught in a boot camp before. It was probably like five years ago. And that was the go-to, that was the go-to place to deploy because, you know, it's easy to deploy just front end, but if you're trying to deploy full stack, you need a server, you need a place to put your environment variables. Heroku makes it really easy. Netlify is a little newer and it has brought in the ability to write serverless functions. So basically you can write AWS Lambda in and, and deploy it for free. So when I think about, um, so here's, here's where like where I've used Heroku uh, because Heroku is full stack and web, if I want to, if I have a form, a multi-part form where I want to push up a image, you know, to be processed as a multi-part form, I can't do that in a serverless function on Netlify. So I use Heroku. Heroku's great. I can use Multer. I can, you know, set up and we have, we, we can do remote functions in Cloudinary that help with our transformations. And right now I just use Heroku. It's free and I can do anything I want because it's full stack. I can't do that on a serverless function in Netlify right now. If I was using the Lambda and AWS, I could go through the API gateway and I could push up an image, but, but I can't do it in, in Netlify. So, so sometimes the go-to place is Heroku for me. Um, but I'm starting to really enjoy playing with um, serverless functions. So I highly recommend that if you decide you want to get into that. Netlify, you can deploy for free. It has a similar kind of um, CLI and you can hook it up to GitHub and push push your stuff out there. So there are, there are some differences and I think it's all kind of an evolutionary process. Um, and so depending on the use case. That, it, I, I love the, the various use cases. And of course, deployment, what you've done at Sean makes perfect sense. So once again, good job. Um, <laughs> so now that you've got a portfolio out there, and I also, once again, I really like the approach that you're taking, like redo it every year, try to incorporate new things you've learned, try to, as you said, put a fresh coat of paint on it, not only just visually, but maybe based on what's deploying it, what's putting in all of the bells and whistles and functions. So this is great. So it could be a case where next year you decide not to use React or something along those lines. Did I get that right? Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. So now that you've got your portfolio out here and we want people to see it, hopefully this program attracts more business for you in this way. Um, other than the portfolio, where should people be going <laughs> to learn more about what you're up to? Is there any particular platforms you're really active on? Is there any social media networks you're really active on? Um, feel free to use this chance to promote yourself. Um, so uh, my main websites are uh, seanmorgandesigns.com, uh, which is mostly my web development stuff, um, and uh, Sean Morgan Illustration, which is... Uh, SeanMorganIllustration.com, which is now hosting uh, my portfolio here. Um, other than that, I'm uh, my GitHub is uh, inside Sean's head, and uh, you know these days I'm mostly just on LinkedIn. I I got you on LinkedIn, so yeah. that works pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying that. Uh, I'm enjoying that more and more. Excellent, Sean. 
thank you so much. And like, like I said, right at the beginning, I was sure we would get a lot of great nuggets of knowledge out of this. And I feel like I at least have a dozen now. So thank you again for this time. And I can't wait to see what you do next with your ever growing development career. So keep it up. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Sean has a lot of amazing qualities. And of course, every one of our guests on Dev Jams does, but there are some key things that I really want to emphasize in this episode with Becky here. First being that if we take a look at what illustration is, of course, you're looking at all of the fine details, exactly all of the beautiful colors and the gradients and the shading that's taking place with art like that. But it's still to say that you can optimize a little bit. You can change the formats for sure. You can do a little bit of light compression to be able to make sure that content loads as quickly as possible, but still shows off all of the beautiful aspects of the art. So I think it's showing that someone like Sean, yes, he has development chops. He obviously was able to do some cool things by building the portfolio the way that he did. But in general, I think showing your art as an illustrator at full width and height, taking up so much bandwidth, ultimately is doing a disservice to you, your art, and the people that want to be a part of it. So I love the yeah. fact that Sean took the time to do a little bit of compression and format changes. I, I totally agree. I, it, it's really tipping a hat to the medium. This, uh, when you're on the internet, you know, there are sort of rules that, that can make it a better place. And one of them is optimization. And the fact that he used F-Auto, Q-Auto, and relied on Cloudinary to kind of help out with that, get the kind of trade-off between smaller but still looks good i was really impressed just to see that he, he he added that to his url so that was really a pleasant surprise there i agree i mean i gotta say i feel like f auto and q auto it's like it's kind of like peanut butter and chocolate like to, separately they're they're good but like when you put them together it's like oh what <laughs> oh my goodness i i i thought of I, I, I see it as a sort of Internet sophistication when someone throws in, you know, formatting and, and quality optimization. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he was able to do that, it's, it's, it's this case where he knows it's always going to work. It's going to be the right format. It's going to be the right level of compression for that user's browser, for their devices. So it's, it, uh, it hits that sweet spot, just like when you have a little bit of chocolate and peanut butter in the same way, it hits that sweet spot. So, like, so yeah, I, I think he, what he did was great, um, but it definitely shows that there's nobody that's passed a, a little bit of compression, a little bit of format. I think it's definitely where Sean is, you know, he needs to show off his work. He needs to sell his work. So it definitely proves that to be true. And I think to that same extent, I think one thing that Sean, I think Jen's also another good example of this. And I also think Hannah's a good example of this. The three bootcamp students that we've profiled in the program so far is that these were people that had had schooling for other things, but then went back to learn more about software development and to know how to code. And I think you're, it's never too late. It's never a point where you say like, well, I'm too far along in this process. Everybody can benefit from just understanding the way the web works. Technology is something that's not really going anywhere, obviously. So being able to know how the inner components of this work and how to make it benefit for your project, your side project, whatever it is, is a huge win for someone like Sean and others. So I think just take the time to learn how to code if you haven't done so already. It's, you're going to be able to be so much more impactful for the projects you want to actually build. 
I agree. And I, I really like his comment that, you know, he studied, he was a bachelor of fine arts. He studied art in college. Math wasn't part of, a big part of his curriculum. And he was afraid that getting into coding might involve a lot of math. He had his math class in college and by, involved painting pine cones, you know, so his, he, there was a little bit of that math anxiety and fear involved, but he overcame that and found that, you know, he, he was able to use his natural skills in the coding world. So I was, I'm happy to see that. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it really does show. And I think this highlights the third point that we do have is that a lot of people and Sean included, like where they sometimes blend in coding with things like science and math. I mean, obviously STEM, right? I mean, science, technology, engineering, math, but in the same sense, it is where there's a lot of artistic aspects to coding. It's where it can be a creative endeavor. You're building something from scratch. It's allowing for your voice to be seen. I mean, I know that there's programmers that I know personally that talk about how beautiful somebody's code is in the way that they write it. And that's something that sometimes you hear used in the same way as like how beautiful that painting is or how beautiful that sculpture is. It can be a creative endeavor. So it is to say, if you see yourself as a creative person, you might be surprised at how much you actually love to code once you start yeah. to figure out how to do so. Oh, well, I, I have a background of doing a lot of just kind of serious business coding. And, and but as it, later on, I, I had found myself in an art installation coding for that. And, you know, it was, you know, basic, you know, browser type coding. But it turned out to be an art project, and and I was kind of really amazed that I could cross over that way. So, so it's it's a very nice for both the arts and the sciences to come together on, and coding is a great way to do that. I completely agree. So, if you've enjoyed this program and you've enjoyed everything that Becky and myself and Sean has shared with you in this program. There are a few things we'd love for you to do. And the first is to tell somebody about the program, whether it's on social media or just in, you know, a Slack message to your colleagues saying, check out this thing. We'd love for you to share this. And if you do so, and you could tell like, hey, this is how I shared it, then send that over to us. If you just send it via our support channels, then our support team will actually increase your culinary plan by one credit for every time that you share this and tell us about it. And that helps with just getting a little bit more bandwidth, a little bit more room for storage to help with those next projects that you have. And of course, if you are listening to this in a certain place, but you want to know where else to go, of course, we're on Apple Music and Google um, Podcasts. And we're also on Spotify. We also are on YouTube, as well as the Cloudinary Academy. So there are plenty of places where if you are saying, I liked this, but I'd like to do it where I like to listen to podcasts or watch podcasts. We are on pretty much every platform and place you can think of. So keep liking and subscribing and all the other things you can do to let us know that you had a good time wherever you choose to consume your content. Becky, anything else to tell our audience before we let them go to their big thing that they're going to be working on or the next thing they have in their day? Well, I'm just hoping that people are out there finding interesting projects and looking at what other people are doing. And certainly building out their own portfolio. It's something you can work on all the time. I agree. Excellent point. Keep searching for that awesome thing, everybody. Thank you again. And we'll see you again for the next episode of Dev Jams.